Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So um, today, we're talking about faith. We're going to talk about faith and the coming of Jesus. And, and that's what Advent is about. It means literally the coming of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus and uh, the first time. But we're also talking about it, the coming of Jesus the second time. We're looking for it. But we're also talking about the, the anticipation we have this Christmas season, reminding ourselves that Jesus did come to give us life eternal. And... Um, uh, I, I just want to take a moment today. I changed my sermon series this week. God woke me up early and told me to scrap it. And uh, today we're going we're gonna to walk through, hopefully this next couple of weeks, we're going to walk through some of these Christmas stories again and tell you some things some of you have already heard, but you need to hear it again. So uh, it's all right to retell the same story. And uh, you ever play peekaboo with a kid, you know, talking about kids while you go, weren't they so cute? Oh my goodness. 18 of them. Now, if you have not yet started to serve with kids men, uh, then it's about time for you to start the process. We've got Discover going on right now. We'll have Discover again next month. And then after that, we've got some more in the process like Volunteer Lab. We can tell you how you can get involved uh, ministering to our children. We need, uh, we need some 18 kids in that room back there. We're going to start a K and first ministry this, what, January. We're going to be dividing up rooms even more. A lot of stuff's going to be happening in the next couple of months with kids ministry, people returning back to church, and we want you to be a part. And, uh, but of course, you're going to jump through a lot of hoops to minister to my kids. And if you mistreat one of my kids, call the cops on me. <laughs> Not on you, on me. You're not allowed to mistreat one of my kids. You got policy training and stuff like that. And uh, that's, not, that's not redneck talking. I, that's true. That's true. I found that out one day a long time ago, and you don't want to know what that side of me looks like. You, won't, you wouldn't like him very much. Like the Incredible Hulk, except I don't turn green. I turn red. Speaking of babies, you ever played peekaboo with a baby? I got a new grandbaby now. You ever play peekaboo? You know, you take the little cloth and you put it up over their face and go, peekaboo. Anybody ever do that? You know, psychologists tell us that's actually healthy for children for you to play that with them. Because what you're doing is you're teaching them that if you're the parent or the caregiver, you're out of sight for a few seconds, it doesn't mean that you cease to exist. And they can learn to build up, if you will, faith muscles, knowing that the person taking care of them will come back later, uh, even though they don't see them or experience them for a moment. And I wonder if God plays heavenly peekaboo with us sometimes. You know, heavenly peekaboo is when God, maybe he gives you a promise and then he covers up the answer for a long, long time until you show yourself faithful until he shows up. It seems like God plays peekaboo because there's times when his presence is real and close and he's working miracles. And then there's times where he's distant, he's silent. He's seemingly absent from our lives. Anybody ever experienced that other than me? Yeah, okay. Oh, the more deep and robust your faith is, the more likely you're to have experienced that. Sometimes it seems that the demands required by faith are larger than our faith. 
Y'all didn't get that. Sometimes it seems like the demands required by our faith are larger than our faith. We just don't have what it takes. And when we go through these trying times, we struggle with faith. That's why we're talking about faith today. This is our week of Advent where we're pressing in on faith. So to get the most out of the season, we need to reclaim our faith in the coming Messiah. Jesus is coming again. Whether you like it or not, he's coming back. When he does this time, it ain't going to be a baby. He's going to be king of kings and lord of lords, and his robe is going to be dipped in the blood of his enemies. Our story today is about Mary. She was told she was going to have a little child. And Protestants, I believe, have minimized Mary for a while because some people have chosen to create a weird theology around her perpetual virginity and praying to her, and they sort of idolatrized uh, Mary, and, and we Protestants, what we've done is we've sort of thrown away Mary and thrown the baby or the mother of the baby out with the bathwater. And I think it's all right for us to learn from Mary and to respect Mary and to honor her as a patriarch of our faith, a matriarch of our faith, if you will. So she's an example of great faith, and that's what we want to look, like, uh, look at today. You know, Mary was probably a teenager when she gave birth to Jesus. We know that she was pledged to a man to be married. And we know that in those days, a typical girl would be married at 14 or 15 years of age. Uh, listen, I know it was a different world then. Can we just accept that the Bible was written to a different world than we live in now? Can we accept that? Would that be all right? Yeah, well, some things which were common then would be frowned upon now. And I really don't want my 14-year-old getting married. But then again, life expectancy now is 70 five to 78 years of age. Back then, life expectancy was 41. So if you were going to die by the time you were 41, you wanted to get started early. They might have actually grown up a little earlier too, but don't get me started there. Uh, but can I say something about a 14-year-old girl being pregnant with the God of the universe? You know, that's one of the things we cling to is the virginity of Mary, that she had known no man. This was not some Roman centurion or Joseph, you know, and them goofing around. No, no, this was God himself that impregnated a virgin who had never had sexual relations with a man. And, and that's very important. The virginity is very important because what that means is, is that God himself implanted the, the incarnate, the pre-incarnate God, the God who was eternal in the heavens forever, was planted as a seed in a woman's body. And that God himself became flesh and dwelt among us so that he could die for our sins and pay for the end of the penalty of the law. And we could now be free of the law and enter into God's blessings. So that virginity is a big deal. And, and Mary here, she's virgin. She's about 14, 15 years of age. And, and uh, I just wanted to say this. If you're, if you're a teenager in this room, often you're thought of as generation next. And I want to just say for a second, I don't view you. I personally don't view you as generation next. I view you as generation now. You're not the next generation. To me, you're not Gen Z or Gen X or Gen whatever. To you, you're, to me, you're generation now. What that means is I believe God can do things in you and through you now which will shape the world. Do you know a 14-year-old girl changed the world? A 14-year-old girl changed the entire world by what she allowed the Holy Spirit to give birth through her. Yes. Don't underestimate what you can do as a 14-year-old. 
God's got something he wants to do in you and through you. And don't wait until you're 25 to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Start when you're eight. That's good preaching right there. Amen, pastor. You know, she also experienced the rejection. Think about this, what it cost her. You know, I grew up, I, I was in the 80s, and back in the 80s, the sexual revolution had taken full hold. And uh, where I was, I, we had the highest dropout rate in the state of Oklahoma the year I graduated from high school. We started with a bunch, and we only graduated a few. And out of those bunch that didn't graduate, there were a large number of them. There were about seven, I've counted about seven or eight of Come on, I graduated with 30 people. What do you expect? Seven of my class didn't finish because they got pregnant. And you think there's a stigma now. You think there was a stigma in the 80s getting pregnant and, and having a baby without a husband. You should have lived 2,000 years ago and had a baby in your belly without a husband. So there was a stigma on her. You know, they went to Bethlehem and there was no room in the inn. That's not what that word says. No, they had no room in their family's house. Because you didn't stay in inns when you were a worker. You stayed with family. You know, you went home. He went home. And when he went home, nobody would let him stay in the house. Because I ain't going to have no pregnant girl I ain't married in my house. Come on. Come on. You know what I'm saying? And that's what's going on. And I want you to see that Mary's faith cost her something. It cost her something. So with that being said, could we read about her faith today? Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? Luke chapter 1 verse 26. And in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin there it is. And that means virgin. I, I know, I, I read the biblical languages. I understand them. Let me just tell you, virgin here means virgin. She was virgin. Pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Oh, by the way, did you guys notice how many times I said virgin in this message? Yeah, it's not a dirty word. Actually, wouldn't it be great if we could have some, a generation of young men and women that honored the covenant of marriage so much? Not, listen, listen to what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying, okay? That would honor the covenant of marriage so much that they would make a vow to themselves, that they would honor their future husband or wife enough to love them and them only for their entire life not whatever passion they may get in whatever moment leading up to that moment. Amen. Guys, that's a higher calling. No, that, that's a higher way of living, not a lower way. The world's living lower. We, we're offering you a higher way, a better way, a more fulfilling way, a more loving, compassionate, honorable way, a way that you can talk to your kids about how you acted and not be ashamed. Sorry, I just had to go there. So <clears throat> the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are fi highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words. We can come back to that. Mary was greatly troubled. She saw an angel. And she was troubled at what? His words? Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll talk about angels in just a second. <clears throat> But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. 
He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And the Holy One to be born will be called Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and they did it the normal way. And she who is said to be able, unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word of God will ever fail. Yes. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to speak today. I pray next couple of moments our hearts would be open. We would hear what you would say to us in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Turn to somebody, give them a big smile. Tell them you're happy to see them and glad they're close to you. Yeah. Hey, here's your big smile online. Good to see you guys. All right. So there, this is a symphony, if you will, and there are three movements in the symphony. I want to talk through the three movements of the symphony. The first movement is the opening movement where the faith of Mary begins with a disturbance. It says an angel showed up to her. Have you ever thought about this? An angel. I was, I was at the art museum yesterday, and I noticed all these angels around. They were all little bitty chubby babies, and they had little wings on their back. They little bitty chubby babies. And who's going to be afraid of a little bitty chubby baby coming up to you and going, Gaga, goo goo, you can have a baby. <laughs> That's not how angels appeared in the Bible. How did they appear? They were always powerful. They were awesome. They were always larger than life. And here is Mary, you know, she's just sitting in her bedroom or whatever, just hanging out one night in her house. And all of a sudden, boom, this big dude appears right next to her with glow, you know, an angel, you're going to have a baby. And she's, could you imagine, come on, some dude just shows up in your living room and says, Mary, if some, some angel showed up in my living room one night, you know, all of a sudden out of nowhere and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby. I'd be like, but I ain't Mary. Anyway, but that, that's a different. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Anyway, you know, you know what the normal response to angels were in the Bible, right? They were scared. People would fall down. They'd cry. They'd be afraid. They would, they would think they were going to die because apparently angels are not little cute fat babies with wings on their back. Apparently they're warriors that show up and you're like, oh, I'm afraid to mess with this warrior. So an angel shows up, but Mary's not upset about the angel showing up. She's upset at his greeting and his words. What really upset her was not the angel. What really upset her was his words. So what were his words? It, it says in Luke 1.29, he was very troubled. She was very troubled at his words. What were the words? The angel said to her, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Put up verse 28 if you would. The Lord is with you. Notice the angel's words. The Lord is with you. Why was she greatly troubled at his words? Because she was a student of the Old Testament scriptures. She knew the stories from the Old Testament. You remember there was this one dude, God said, I'm with you. His name was Joseph. I am with you. And immediately after God said he was with you, Joseph got sold into slavery. So he's a slave. God says, I'm with you. So he rose to the top of the slave heap. Then one day, the, the master's wife saw Joseph and said, I'd like some of that. So she goes after him and Joseph gets in trouble and didn't do anything. He runs away. She keeps his coat. Joseph winds up in prison. And it says in the text, God was with him. 
So let me see, God's with me, I become a slave, and then I become a prisoner in a place that they want me to die. God, would you not be so close? (laughs) Every time that that Joseph went through another trouble, God was with him. Maybe she knew some other stories. You know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those guys, says God was with them. You know what happened? Because God was with them, they were carried away from their home. They were taken to another country. They left their parents and their family behind. They were made in the household of Nebuchadnezzar. They were probably made eunuchs, so they lost more than their household. And here they were having lost their name, lost their homeland, lost their family, lost their security, lost the stuff that made him a male. Here they are in the household of Nebuchadnezzar. God says, I'm with you. So what happens? Then they get thrown into fiery furnace and lion's dens. God, would you not be so close to me if this is what happens when you're with me? How about another one? God says, I'm with you, Moses. I'm with you. So he winds up getting thrown out of Egypt and spends 40 years in the desert. God says, I'll be with you, Moses. Let's go. Let's go do it. So Moses goes back to Egypt, delivers the children of Israel, and then spends 40 more years in the same desert with this time a whole bunch of knot-headed people that caused trouble for him the whole way. God, would you not be with me so much? (laughs) Do I have time to talk to you about David? How David, I'm with you, David. And yet he gets chased by Saul around the wilderness. Come on, I could tell you all these stories. And what happened is Mary being an astute knowledge of the, 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 the writings of Scripture, here's I'm with you, and she's like, oh no, it's coming. <laughs> and a lot of you, what you think is, if God's with me, then everything is always going to go smooth. And I want to ask you a question. Where did you come up with that thought? You did not get it from the Bible. And you did not get it from my preaching. But a lot of you think, oh, if God's with me, then everything's going to go perfect and smooth all the time. No. If God is with you, you're going to have more disturbances than you expect. But God will deliver you out of every disturbance. A lot of us think faith is like this panacea that we experience faith and then we have no more problems. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you have faith, you'll actually have worse problems, but God's going to use as an example to show the world how he's God over the problems of this world. If there's no need, then there's never any need for a miracle. Some of you say stuff like, God, if you'd just do a miracle, I'd believe in you. And God says, okay, let me create some pain so you got need for a miracle. But you don't like that kind of preaching. You want to turn on your TV and hear somebody say, come to Jesus, you'll be rich forever. Come on, would you, would you just, could we just embrace the simple fact that if God is with you, your faith begins with disturbances. If you don't have disturbances, you really don't need faith. All right. So, second of all, faith embraces big questions. If you have faith, you will embrace the big questions, the questions that you were told you're not allowed to ask. You can ask them. Never be afraid of a question because the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But the only way you're ever going to know the truth about anything is if you're willing to discard the lies that you've been fed by embracing the big questions. 
have big questions about God, have big questions about faith, have big questions about the world and what's going on, have big questions. I encourage you to do it because most of us simply take in the garbage we've been fed. I don't have time. Y'all need to read this book. I need to preach some out of this book right here. Live no lies. If this doesn't mess you up, then you are not reading it. So, do you think that you're going to have all your questions ever answered before you have faith? If that's the case, you'll never do anything. Think about this. You'll never learn to drive unless you have faith. And I will guarantee you, parents with teenagers, you will never let your children drive without a lot of faith, without stupid faith. Because, come on, I was, I've taught three kids how to drive. I have had more almost heart attacks than you can imagine. And I'll be like, no, you know, and we're driving down the road and I'm teaching them how to watch, you know, a good driver not only knows what's in front of them, they know what's on the sides of the roads and what's behind them. <laughs> and you know, most kids, they get in the car, they want to turn up the stereo and go, ah, and I'm like, turn that stupid stereo off and let's pay attention, right? And then the day I hand them the car keys, I know what they're going to do. They're going to be stupid. They're not going to listen. You got to have faith to let that, right? Am I correct? You got to believe in what you cannot see, which is sanity out of a 16 year old. Hey, I believe your generation now, but I also believe you can be dumb. I believe in you, but I also believe you can be stupid. That's two beliefs I believe. Because <laughs> I know your mom and dad, and they were stupid too. <laughs> How about this? You need faith? You need faith to get a job. <laughs> right? You really think you're going to make a living from this group? Anyway, sorry. You need faith to get married. Do you know you get married to three people the day you get married? Yeah, you get married to the person that they've been pretending that they are. You get married to that person. And then you get married to the person they really are. And then you get married to the person you're going to make them. So you need a lot of faith to get married. You need faith to have kids. Oh, my Lord. Yeah, anyway. You know, faith is only a necessity when what you're, what you're looking for is beyond your certainty. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance for what we do not see. If you see it, then you don't need faith. Do, do you got this? So faith has big questions. And you can still have faith with big questions because it's a confidence in the reality even when you can't see it or explain it. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And what's funny to me is how accurately an author 2,000 years ago wrote something that science will prove as being actually factually correct now. But there are big questions, like what does this look like? God, where were you in this process? Did anybody ever ask a question? What do I do with science when I have Genesis 1 through 3 and how do I align the two? And some people have walked away from their faith because they, they have some crazy reading of this or some crazy understanding of that. And what I'm saying to you is, is that there's a way 
have faith even in the middle of that. I'll tell you a joke, all right? Rather than get all deep, I'll tell you a joke. One day a group of scientists got together and decided that humanity had come a long way and no longer needed God. So they picked one scientist to go and tell God that they were done with him. So the scientist walked up to God and said, God, we've decided we no longer need you. We're at the point where we can clone people, manipulate atoms, build molecules, fly through space, and do many other miraculous things. So why don't you just go away and mind your own business from now on? So God listened all patiently and kindly to the man. And after the scientist was done talking, God said, very well, how about this? Before I go, let's say we have a human-making contest, to which the scientist replied, okay, we can handle that. But God added, no, we're going to do it like I did back in the old days. We're going to do it like we did with Adam. So at this, the scientist nodded and said, sure, no problem, reached down and grabbed a handful of dust. And when we picked up a handful of dirt off the ground, God wagged his finger and said, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, put that down. You get your own dirt. (laughs) So faith is embracing the big questions. Mary said in Luke 134, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How, how are you going to do this, God? I, I am, this is a big question, right? How will it be? And God, the angel basically says, well, you know, I'll think of something new here. I did it in the old days like that. I can do it again. What are the questions you have? I've already brought up creation and all that stuff. What about this one? Why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah, anybody ever ask that question? Why do bad things happen to good people? And by good people, we always mean me. (laughs) The only question I have is, do you really want to sit down and make a list of how good you really are? So bad things might not happen to good people because you sure ain't one of them. (laughs) Neither am I, I'm not throwing any stones. Can we ask the bigger question there, though? Because it is a bigger question, just helping you clarify. Why does God do or allow stuff that we consider to be bad? That's a good question. It's one worth struggling with. You know, wars, flood, death. What about this? Why do I pray and God doesn't seem to ever answer me? So in the meantime... For you figure out, answer all these questions, because if you hang out long enough and you struggle long enough, God will let you have answers to your questions. But it may take years and years and years. Some answers to questions, I, I got a question answered about two weeks ago that I've been struggling with for 30 years. And I'm not 100% sure on the answer, but it's better than the one I had before. Are you willing to hang on to faith for 30 years when you don't have that answer? So if you're in that end time, in between time, here's a great story for you. There was this dude, he had a boy, and his boy was young, and his boy was demon-possessed. And they brought the boy, the father brought the boy to the disciples of Jesus, and they couldn't do anything with the boy. So Jesus said this. Uh, uh, Here's the story. It's in Mark chapter 9, verse 20. When the Spirit saw Jesus, so he brought the boy demon-possessed, and when the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around foaming at the mouth. Now Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered, and it's often thrown him into the fire water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus said, hey, stop the way. If you can, if you can, you're asking God, 
Almighty impregnated in a virgin, walking around healing and doing miracles for you. You're saying, if you can? He said, everything is possible if you have faith. If To the one who believes, or that, that word literally there is faith. To the one who has pistis or faith. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, and I love this. This is the best prayer in the Bible. I do believe. I do have faith. Pistis. There it is again. I do have faith. Help me overcome my ah faith, my no faith. Ah pistis. Help me overcome my no faith. I do have faith. Help me overcome my no faith. It's the best prayer in the Bible. I do believe. Help me come, overcome my unbelief. So what do you do in the meantime while you have the questions but you don't have the answers? You pray, I do believe. Help me overcome this unbelief. And then the third thing is faith submits the third movement and the grand finale of the, the symphony here is that faith submits to God's plan. Faith submits to God's plan because at some point you have to take action. Faith submits to God's plan. You take, a, take action. Anybody ever get, you know, you're in middle school and it's picture day and one day before picture day the big red Rudolph starts to grow right here? Anybody ever been there? And he grows. It always happened on picture day for me. It's like, you know, I'd walk in, go row Rudolph. Anyway, and I got a big nose. You put a big pimple on there. It's really big. And, and what happens? It gets redder and redder and redder. And eventually it turns white in the middle. And you know, it is time to reap the harvest, right? <laughs> because at some point the big, the big zit needs to bust the window, right? you're at home watching Dr. Pimple Popper saying, I can't believe he's saying this. <laughs> and here, you know, at, at some point though, what you need, if you're going to get your nose back and you're going to let it go, at some point you've got to act on the big white thing sticking on your nose, right? All right. So faith requires action. Because God has a plan and faith will cause you to submit to God's plan. In Luke chapter 1 verse 38, she said, I am the Lord's servant. I am the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. She said, okay, let's do this thing. So faith always requires actions. James 2.26 says, faith without deeds is dead. It's dead. You, you can say you have faith, but if you don't ever act on it, you don't really have faith. So God, though, I, and I want to say this to you. There are people in the room, you're like, I don't have any faith. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You have faith. Romans 12, 3 says, in accordance to the faith, God is distributed to each of you. Everybody has received faith from God. You have. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening right now. If you're listening right now, you're even paying a little bit of attention, you have faith. You know why? Because you could be on the golf course or wherever else in your brain. And you choose to listen right now. You know why you choose to listen right now? Do you know why you're in the building? Even though, I didn't want to go to church this morning. You know why you're here? I'll tell you why you're here. You're here because you have faith. That's what led you to actually go through it. Because, you know, you and I both know you can fake your way out of just about anything in this world. But you chose to be here because there's something in you calling out to God. Amen. Simple fact you're here right now and you're listening right now means that you have at least, can you say you have a mustard seed of faith? Yeah. Oh, well, we're not going to talk about that. But. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 27, the scriptures say God did this so they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. For he's not far from any one of us. What that means is God has done stuff in your life to point you to faith. 
You know he has. You can argue against it. You can fight against it. But come on, in your quiet moments, you know that God has done things in your life that, that you can't explain any other way than God is reaching out to you. All of us have had that. And if we'll be silent and we'll listen to it, we'll hear it. Let me tell you a story, okay? This is number 34 for those of you that have been around a while. So um, I, I was, 2000, I went back to seminary. And when I went to seminary, every problem I had with God, the Bible, and all that kind of stuff, and I, got, I had a lot of them. I had a lot of them swept under the rug for years. And they just pulled back, my first seminary professor pulled that rug, pulled it back and said, what are, what are you going to do about this? And I went into full-scale depression. I was all the way in. I wasn't partway in. I was all the way in. I, I, we won't talk about how bad it got, but let's just say it got bad. I had some physical issues, had some mental issues, had some faith issues. They all sort of had abuse in my background I hadn't dealt with. And I was there. I was at the end. And I had no faith left, and I was laying a little, I was laying in a queen-size bed in Super 8 Inn in Millersburg, Ohio, with my wife. We were on a board staff retreat, so I'd been a pastor for, oh goodness, I'd been a pastor for eight years and three and a half years as a youth pastor. I had, a, by this time, it was probably 2003, and I had gone from that day in 2000, I had gone to the depths, and I was ready to quit life. Quit, minute, quit everything. And I'm laying in that bed, and I'm at the end that day. And at my worst moment, I said, okay, God. He woke me up at 5 a.m., and he said, uh, I want to talk to you. And I said, okay, what do you want to say? And he said, I want to remind you of something that happened to you. See, it happened to me a couple of years before, about a year and a half before all this began. I had sciatic pain. Anybody ever have sciatic back pain? You know what I'm talking about? where your back freezes up and your right hamstring, my right hamstring, you could have played a piano on it. It was so tight. I mean, it was bad, and every step I took, it was twang, twang, twang. My guitar strings aren't wound that tight. And here I was. It was a Wednesday night of church, and we were up there in the chapel at that time. It was a Wednesday night, and uh, it happened on that side of the chapel. Front, I'm turning around, I'm teaching. I get up to teach, and when I do, man, that, that thing just went off again. I can barely move. And uh, we had this weird woman in our church at that time. And it's all right for me to call her a weird woman. Those of you that know her know she was very strange. Sometimes prophetic type people are weird. They're still used by God, but they can be a little strange. And this one was strange. She was weird. Back in those days, we had bottles of anointing oil. Not the little ones, but the big ones. And we had the big ones, and, and what would happen is, back in the day, you know, we'd take a drop of oil, the Bible says to anoint people with oil, and all right, so this woman who's strange, I didn't even like her because she broke up two life groups. I mean, I, I didn't like her, I didn't trust her, I didn't want to be around her. Am I allowed to say that? And I'm sitting here, I'm just ticked off, and I'm hurting, and this woman says, oh, pastor, can we pray for you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> But I'm a pastor, so I can't say that, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
I have to go along with them. Sure, go ahead and pray for me. So she walks up to the altar and she says, let's gather around everyone. So uh, she was one of those. And she takes a bottle of anointing oil and she pours a handful. Not a drip, a handful. I mean, suction cup. And she goes flat and oil pops out the side. She's like massaging her hands and oil dripping off of it. And she says, let's just pray for pastor. And I'm like, don't touch me, you crazy thing. And she walks over to me in front of me and everybody's gathered around. They're all, oh, I'm, I, I'm telling you the way it is because I, how much faith did I have at that moment? Zero. I'm like, get this over with, get it done and let's move on with the night. And I can go home and put some heat on this back is what I'm thinking. And this woman walks over to me and goes, oh, now I just want to tell you if you're ever questioning the, how to start a prayer with me, oh, is not the way to start a prayer with me. I just don't, I, I don't resonate with some woman that I've had to kick out of two life groups going, ooh, in my face with dripping hands. And she goes, ooh, there it is. And when she said, there it is, and hit my forehead, fire shot from my head, down my back, down my leg, back up my leg, and I was 100% well immediately. Now, let me tell you, the reason that story means so much to me is I didn't believe anything was going to happen. I could not have psycho-imagined it or anything like that. And in that hotel room in the Super 8 Inn, God said to me very clearly, you didn't make that up. I did it to show to you that I am God. And now, boy, will you let me rebuild a real faith in you instead of this fake thing you've been faking your entire life? Because I might have got saved when I was six in kids' church. And I might have got saved again when I was eight and baptized when I was nine. And I might have got saved again when I was 17. And I might have got saved and filled the Holy Ghost when I was 19 in college. But I'm telling you something. That day in that Super 8 Inn, God gave me eternal life and a new vision for the world like I never had before. And it didn't happen because I'm so awesome, but because there was a measure of faith and God had been working through situations to put me in a situation where at my lowest and most desperate moment, he proved to me once again that he was God, I'm not, and I need to believe him, not me. And what I want to invite you into today is that prayer. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I got about that much, God, but the Bible says that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can even say to a mountain, be removed, because you don't need a lot of faith. You just need the kind of faith that gives you access, because God is the doer of the miracles, not you. God is the giver of eternal life, not you. God is the giver of hope and a future and blessing. It ain't you, and it ain't about you. It's about you trusting him, and I want to invite you into that. I want you to pray a prayer with me today. Y'all ready? I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. The fact you're listening right now means that you have a little bit of faith. So pray it with me. Come on out loud, everybody. Would you pray it with me? I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Hey, it's your morning. You've never actually taken that step of faith in Christ. You've never actually said, you know what, I'm going to believe. I want to invite you in today, right now, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. 
I'm asking everybody, if you would, just out of respect for those around you, would you just bow your heads for a second? I gotta ask this question. If you're in this room right now, and you're struggling with faith, but you say, you know what, there's something in me telling me it's my day to believe. Jesus, I'll believe in you. I don't have it figured out, I, I, I don't understand. But I feel that Holy Spirit tugging me, so I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna say I'm gonna believe. If that's you, would you just lift your hand right, high, right now, just lift it around this room, lift it real high, I wanna pray with you, yes. Yes, are there others? Yes, are there others? Lift that hand up real high right now. Yeah. Around this room, hands are lifted around this place. Can we pray that prayer again, all of us together? And can we mean it together? Nobody prays alone at Harvest Ridge. We pray together. Can we all pray this together? Jesus, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. If you prayed that prayer, God heard it. He knows you meant it. And he's going to help you overcome because you're going to be a winner and an overcomer in the name of Jesus. Hey, here's what we're going to do. Our prayer teams are going to come forward and prayer teams are going to be outside the platform. So prayer teams, come on up, make your place outside the platform over here. And here's what I'm going to invite you. If you want to spend the next couple of moments just praying a prayer of belief in your own heart, uh, this space in between the platform here is an altered place. I'd invite you to come. Just take your kneel, kneel down, say a prayer, maybe stand, say a prayer. I don't care. This is your place. If you want somebody to pray with you and expect a miracle with you, we have people to pray with you over here. The band's going to play a song, and I'm going to invite you to spend the next couple of moments just looking up to your Heavenly Father and asking Him for the faith to get the answer to the problems that you're going through. It may wait. It may hang on. It may take some time. But you know what? I believe Jesus has never left. Jesus is like a good Marine. He never leaves anybody behind. And if you're trusting in Him, He's going to make sure He goes back and gets you out of that mess. In the name of Jesus. God, would you give us faith in this moment? Amen. Would you stand with me and sing together? If you want to come to this altar, come have somebody pray with you. We have teams here.